Welcome to Conversations. My name is Amy Adams. I'm the editor of Conscious Life Space and the broadcaster of this podcast. Thank you for joining me for episode two of Conversations. Today, I welcome Chrissy Miller. She gives us a Gen Xer's perspective on motherhood at 40. In today's episode, we discuss being a new mom, co-sleeping, being an older parent, changing relationships, and much more. Before we get started, I just have one quick announcement. Did you know that Conscious Life Space offers a free course, Seven Days Towards Gratitude. You don't even have to sign up on the mailing list. That's crazy. Everyone makes you sign up on the mailing list, but not for this. It's a free course, free forever, given from me to you from the bottom of my heart. That's my way of expressing my gratitude to you for being here. Now let's get started. Chrissy has her doctorate in anthropology, and she also is a permaculturist, a permaculturist, and um, then she has been uh, transitioned to becoming a stay-at-home mom. One of the issues that new moms face is that the underlying structure, especially in the United States, doesn't support... Uh, women, even though it encourages uh, this idea of motherhood and motherhood is revered on the outside. But then when it comes down to it, there is no national child care. There's no really good paid family leave. There's pay equity doesn't really exist for women to, and also to support working moms or fathers who actually would want to become uh, full-time parents at home. Um, anyway, so, so the infrastructure really isn't there, but the idea that you know, motherhood is kind of glorified, but at the same time, it's not. So today I wanted to kind of talk to uh, Chrissy about her experience as becoming a new mom and what that's meant for her and some of her struggles and how she's overcome them and where she's headed in the next um, year or two. Kind of introduce yourself. Yeah, I have, I have an eclectic resume, right? So I started out as an anthropologist, I've done archeology, span I've done cultural anthropology, I've done permaculture work and was running community gardens project for a while. And then I, I even worked as a government contractor in uh, international security analysis. So I've, I've really been all over the map. And then when we got ready to have a baby, I mean, there was just, there, it was no, no contest. I mean, I knew absolutely that I wanted to stay home uh, and make being a mom my full-time job. Uh, so that I'm, I'm fortunate that I had that choice because a lot of moms don't. So uh, actually, I think that's a really good point too. And that's actually something that I was reading about is that it's unfortunately, it is 
um, not an opportunity that everyone can actually take. And that's one of the things that's a little upsetting to me when I hear about um, that there's still in, here we are in 2018 and there's this lack of uh, support and infrastructure for women in the United States to be able to do this. And um, maybe, uh, and especially because there's been very successful programs throughout the world um, that doesn't really even cost the government a lot of money that supports women. So this is something that I, I find a little uh, difficult to comprehend still. Like what, you know, this, this idea. <laughs> so I am, I'm absolutely baffled after, you know, watching my, both of my sisters as single moms and having lots, several friends who have been single mothers and even, even friends who aren't single mothers, but have to work. They just don't have the option financially. Then I think, how do you do it? How would, how do you go to work and say you pay your babysitter $10 an hour and they're getting paid, you know, they're not paying taxes, but they just get a flat out, you know, 10, 12, $15 an hour. And what if you're only making 15 or $20 an hour yourself? Most of your, most of your income is going to childcare. I mean, in some sense, it's almost a wash. Yeah. Yeah. That it's, it's disturbing. So, um, I, I actually wish that more people had the opportunity to do that. When you were pregnant, did you find, uh, did you have any problems with people with boundaries or um, expectations? Yeah, occasionally. Um, uh, from strangers and from your family. I mean, and from people that you know, like uh, from both perspectives. Both. I had, yeah, all, all sorts of things on, on different levels. Um, I had one, just one kind of interesting experience comes to mind. Uh, I was seven months pregnant and Michael and I went to Oregon for, we called it our baby moon. It was our last hurrah before the baby was born. <laughs> so we took a vacation. We went to a music festival about an hour and a half outside of Portland. And, uh, Michael's taping, you know, he records the concert. So he's kind of stuck at, stuck at his microphones. And so he wanted a beer. So I went to the bar and ordered him a beer. So I walked up to the bar, seven uh. months, asked the bartender for an IPA. She gave me the nastiest look. And I just, you know, my thought was first, I don't know her an explanation. You know, first of all, that beer is not even for me. But you know what? Even if it was, is that any of her business? Why mm. should she? Why should she give me a dirty look and judge me if I decided to drink a beer while I'm seven months pregnant? You know, I for one, I'm pretty European about it. I feel like that. You know, that's okay. It's not. It's not a huge thing. But some people, some people disagree, and that's fine. But either way, the beer wasn't for me. It was for my husband. But anyway, that that's that that kind of thing happens. Actually, you know, it's interesting because I even remember there was a pregnant woman and she was drinking a glass of wine. And I remember even thinking to myself, oh my God, I can't believe she's drinking wine. Now, I really had no knowledge about anything. It was just like, almost like this kind of, um, these kinds of judgments that you grow up with that that you're not even consciously making like that and it really was none of my business and i didn't 
say anything to her or I would never say anything to her. But I, I remember actually that thought crossing my mind. And um, so it's kind of interesting that you told that story because I think that's probably something that happens a lot. Um, yeah. yeah, I have a girlfriend who she, she was with her husband uh, on vacation and she was very pregnant and she had a glass of wine. She got several dirty looks. So I think that's, that's probably, yeah, that's probably pretty common. If you're pregnant and you're going to have a drink or even order a drink, even when you're not drinking, right? because people are judging. They're out there. They're out there. <laughs> but yeah, yeah I, sometimes I had already established moms, older moms who, you know, had had kids for a while, kind of try to just give me unsolicited advice. Um, but I kind of took it, I just kind of, I just kind of took it all in, you know, I didn't, I didn't make any decisions based on unsolicited advice. I tried to do my best to weigh everything out myself. I did research. Oh, I can't believe also all the stuff I registered for for my baby shower that was completely useless. Like that I, I'm glad a lot of it I didn't get because I wouldn't have, I, I got it because other people told me, oh, you have to have this. You have to have, you have to have this baby changing table you have to have a crib you have to have all of these certain items mm -hmm. and it turns out I, I really didn't and you you have to learn every parent every family has their own style their own way of doing things and you just kind of figure it out on your own anyway and mm -hmm. you know you can give somebody unsolicited pregnancy or baby advice till you're blue in the face but if their personality isn't the same as yours, they're probably going to choose something different. And that's probably okay. And it's none of your business. I had some debates actually with friends about co-sleeping. That's a big one. That's a big one. We co-sleep. Uh -huh. uh, and the, you know, there, there, so there are a couple of different schools of thought. You know, there's the one school of thought that it's very dangerous. Never, ever do it. You could suffocate the baby. Uh, and there's another school of thought, thought that, that I prescribe to that says it's biologically normal. This is what all mammal species do. Uh, you, you protect the baby. You wouldn't, if you were, you know, living, if you were, you know, paleolithic person living many years ago, you wouldn't take your baby and like set him off a hundred feet away from you and then go sleep with your mate. Something would come and eat your baby. You know, right. you want to and also, if you're if you're nursing, if you're breastfeeding too, then I mean, you just you, it, it all works together. It's just it's all one system. I I don't see. I, for me, getting up in the middle of the night and going to another room to feed him, and then it disrupts me. I have to pick him up out of a crib, and then it just it's just the whole. It's too much of a process. So with co-sleeping. Do you think that, um, because one of the biggest complaints that a lot of new parents have, not just moms, but the dads too, is that they aren't sleeping, especially in the first few weeks. I mean, they're kind of freaked out. Their whole life has just been upended by a new little being that's joined them. So um, do you think that the co-sleeping, it, it does allow you to get more rest? Yes, absolutely. And here, so I'll tell you, in the beginning, I was so on the fence. And this was, I was pregnant and I had, I had friends who co-slept and I thought it was really great. I asked them a lot of questions about it and I felt pretty strongly that that was what I wanted to do. I had other friends on the complete, uh, very opposite end of the spectrum. I had one friend actually 
come to me with tears in her eyes, crying, pleading with me not to co-sleep with my baby, that it was so dangerous and she was so afraid. That was really hard for me. I thought, wow. I mean, it was a, it was a dilemma. What do I do when I have this person who I really respect and care about pleading with me not to do this, that it's so dangerous to treat my baby this way. And I just, it was, it was a real struggle. So I ended up thinking, wow, well, maybe I would be a horrible mother. And what if he did suffocate? I mean, oh my God, I would never forgive myself. So I thought, okay, you know what? I, I'm not going to do it at first. And we actually, we ended up uh, getting a crib. Um, our, my sister-in-law got it for us. And we got this beautiful crib. We ended up never really using it. But we didn't know what to do with it in the beginning. We brought August home from the hospital. And it was just this teeny, tiny, little bitty thing. And we set him down in this giant crib. And he just had all this space. He was just this little tiny ball that needed warmth and love and compassion. And we just like set him down in this little isolated, it was kind of like putting him in a little cage. <laughs> he just sat there by himself. And I just, it didn't feel right. He was too small for the crib. So we tried a little like a little bassinet thing that sits on top of the bed. But then that worried me because I thought one well, could roll onto the side and suffocate in that. So we ended up uh, putting him in the rock and play next to the bed. But the thing is, he would wake up every 15 minutes. He didn't want to be there. He wanted to be in my arms. And right. so I would just, it was exhausting. I would get up. I would get him from the rock and play. I would shake him. I would go over and sit on the left seat to feed him because I didn't want to sit in bed and fall asleep and like, you know, have him fall off the bed or something. So we would both end up falling asleep on the left seat and he would sleep on my chest. And that was the only way either of us got sleep. And so it turns out we were co-sleeping even though we didn't mean to. And here's the thing, falling asleep on a love seat or a piece of furniture, that's a dangerous way to co-sleep. The baby can get hurt. Uh -huh. So I really did some more research and, and looked into it. There's, I mean, there is safe co-sleeping. There is definitely unsafe co-sleeping. You can't, co you can't like get drunk or, you know, you, you have to be, I mean, you have to be sober. You have to be aware. You have to be, you have to be vigilant when you co-sleep. And that's all very true. You can co-sleep, co if you co-sleep safely, it's, it was the best situation for us. And once I finally stopped getting up in the middle of the night and feeding him on the left seat and falling asleep in the left seat, I took him to the other bed. One thing that I decided I didn't want Michael to go sleep with us because uh, he's a really heavy sleeper and I was afraid that he might roll over onto him. So we, August and I moved into that separate bedroom when he was an infant, you know, really small and it was just the two of us and I could really cradle him and protect him. And it was magical once we started doing that because suddenly we're both laying down when he wakes up in the middle of the night crying and wants boobies, guess what? They're right here. All I have to do is inch him over and he has mm -hmm. boobies and then we both go back to sleep. And it was the first, after the first couple of nights we co-slept, it was just, it was such a huge difference in the amount of sleep and rest both of us got. Because uh -huh. so, we weren't waking him up all night. So, I mean, we all slept better. Yeah. Well, honestly, I mean, I was married for a long, long time. I was in a relationship with the, this person for 20 years. And I actually, I, we always slept together, but we had a king size bed because I think space is necessary when you have a relationship and you need sleep because sometimes you just need sleep. If somebody is a snorer or a restless sleeper, I mean, we all need our sleep. I think that is one of the things that is really important for our well-being. 
And so how can we be nice to anybody when we wake up and we're like cranky because we didn't have enough sleep and then we're like, (laughs) (laughs) Michael and I fought so much in the first few weeks that August was born. And I think, well, part of it was like a little postpartum resentment, but a huge part of it was just exhaustion for both of us. We're just exhausted and pissed off. (laughs) Yeah. I I remember actually visiting many people when they first have a baby and just looking at them and feeling so sorry for them (laughs) because, you know, they would even like, they knew that people were coming over maybe to like, you know, first see the baby, you know, kind of an introduction, like the family's coming over to see the baby. And then they just like, even trying to look nice, they were like, you could just see that how tired they were <laughs> and they were suffering. <laughs> so, but, it's exactly, I, it's like, it's just a blur. That first like eight weeks is just, it's just an exhausting kind of painful <laughs> blur. <laughs> I mean, it's beautiful. It's the greatest feeling in the world and you get to, oh, it's just magical, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's painfully exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) So after you were pregnant and then you had like the first year of being a mom, after you kind of figured out the co-sleeping and uh, kind of picking up like all the little things on what to do of being a new parent, um, did you find uh like a struggle with your identity because you were switching one role to another so i'm wondering if becoming a mom if you experienced that if that was a, an issue for you uh, that's a great question and i actually yeah there i have i have a couple of thoughts on uh identity and absolutely it changed and i think that's pretty normal um <laughs> suddenly i have i've I'm, I'm not just myself anymore. I'm not just me. I'm, I'm me and this other person. I mean, he's, he's a vestige of me in so many ways. And especially when he was an infant, when he was first born, it was, you know, it was kind of became the August and Chrissy show all the time. And, you know, I've always got this person attached to me. His, his needs are the top priority. And, you know, I, a lot, a lot did fall to the wayside. I mean, you know, people always talk about, there's this whole idea of like getting your body back, which I think is horrible. (laughs) but you know it takes a while your your body changes and when your physical body changes your idea of who you are suddenly changes a small interruption by august yeah there's i mean so there's a lot of physical change um and it's like my i mean just even down to my wardrobe choices like i maybe a couple of years ago i would want to wear something that would probably you know that might I, I be, would be concerned about aesthetics and looking nice and being fashionable trying to wear something that accentuates a certain part of my body or try to you know wear something that's appropriate for the venue I'm going to mm-hmm. and after I had a baby it just kind of altered into well nothing fits I'm breastfeeding everything I wear has to be loose and flowy and layered a certain way. So fashion just kind of goes out the window. I mean, I guess unless you're really wealthy and can go buy like this expansive, like pregnancy breastfeeding wardrobe, but even still, you're always, you're always going to be limited in your wardrobe when you're, when you're breastfeeding, which I have been doing continuously. And so uh, that kind of changes who you are because your sense of, you, you're, when you dress, 
it's you're expressing yourself mm-hmm. and so that changes there's just you know that your interactions with other people change and after you have a baby it just kind of your social relationships all just go on the back burner everything does because your priorities shift and then but that there's there is an isolation in that and you know I it was just me it, it has continuously been just August me at home all day and it's it's up to me to make the social connections and to make sure we're both engaged and we're not lonely but I think uh just so I feel like I've always throughout my life I've always sort of I'm I'm a pretty social person and I've kind of always had like a like a posse like a group like mm-hmm. through each stage of my life there's there's a group of people we all have enough stuff in common we all we all just we're all cohesive and we do stuff together you know whether it's like my college the group of people I ran with in college or you know, my running friends in Alexandria, you know, three days a week, we would run together, we would hang out, they were my friends, they were my crew, we all had this stuff in common, and, you know, but, you know, throughout life, you, you do that, and in Romania, you know, I had my Romania crew, <laughs> but it's kind of like once, when, once I had a kid, I, you know, my social relationships all went on the back burner, and I was lonely, but I really, I needed to make mom connections, I, it was hard for me, especially because we were living in the suburbs at the time, and all, I was so spread out from all of my friends. I didn't really have anybody, you know, in really close proximity. So I discovered La Leche League, and every Tuesday they had a meeting at the Starbucks a mile from my house, so I could walk. It was great. I put August in the pouch, and we'd walk up to Starbucks and hang out with other moms with little tiny breastfeeding babies, and it was lovely. It was great to have that sense of community and you know, have that thing in common with people, but in a way it was sort of, it's nice. Like you meet like one or two friends that way and you kind of stay in touch, but it's, it's hard because the thing you have in common is motherhood really. And it's not necessarily anything else in your background. And you kind of, sometimes you have to, you, you, you know, you sort of push your way, you make small talk, you make conversation and just like with anything else, some people you kind of hit it off with and make more of a connection than with others. It's just natural. But sometimes I feel like the, when you're in that circle and you're going to like now it's not breastfeeding groups now it's play groups and play dates and all sorts of other it's all all of the people we spend our time with they're all families they're all people Mm -hmm. they're you know around a lot of older moms and with young kids and so that's that's what i that's my identity now older mom with a toddler and so i seek out other older moms with toddlers Uh and it's amazing like when i'm looking for them i can find them they're everywhere um and so I'm making friends that way but there's sort of there's sort of still there's a little bit of a disconnect because since that is the thing we have in common sometimes our backgrounds just like you know the meanness the crissiness of me doesn't necessarily the chemistry doesn't always fit together do you think that when you whatever kind of social group uh, that motherhood kind of brings you to whether it's the breastfeeding moms or if it's the older moms with uh, toddlers do you actually when you meet do you share tips with one another about um that uh, some kinds of like of your own personal experiences that could help other people or is it more just like oh my god I'm so glad to be out of the house <laughs> so. I think it's more 
for like the second. I mean, usually it's just, at least now, I think with the breastfeeding group, it was a lot more, it was really breastfeeding support and it was more about advice. And that's what you're looking for. Oh my gosh, I'm brand new at breastfeeding. I've never done this before. How do I do it? Is this normal? Are you going through this? It was more of that. Now that he's older and it's more play groups, you know, it's a little bit more like, we're kind of like, oh, whoa, hey, it's nice to hang out with another mom. And we just kind of chill out and the, the kids play. But it's always it's always interrupted conversation because, of course, the, it's the kids. We're there for the kids and we're always – so it's – I mean, any mom conversation I ever have, it's like anytime I start making that connection and the chemistry is, like, starting to flow together, it's like there's always an interruption and you kind of stop. So it's like the, the synapses just never meet all the way, it seems. <laughs> right. Uh, because earlier you said, and I'm sure ma many moms, I mean, not all moms, because not everybody has the same experience. Some people suffer from the postpartum depression and things like that. But um, one of the things that you said earlier was that now your life, it's not just you. It's now you and your child. So, um, which is, which is really a part of you. <laughs> so, but, um, and now your focus has become on another person and having to, uh, that person is your priority over anything else because you want to make your baby safe. You want to take care of them and nurture them and guide them through their life and enrich their life. So do you think though that, um, do you still take time for your own needs to take care of yourself? Um, I try, I definitely don't pay as much attention to my needs as I used to, but. Yes. Okay. So in the beginning, I really didn't. I was just haggard and bedraggled and exhausted all the time. But you know, I also took, I took a sort of, I really, I did and I still do kind of almost take, well, not really still do. I shouldn't say that because I, I, I have been taking more efforts to take care of myself. Definitely. Um, I have to walk while I talk because it's okay. Water. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, it, now I actually, I, I, okay. So in the beginning, I guess I didn't, I didn't take as good a care of myself and I don't want to say there was a sense of pride in it, but there's something, I guess I felt like it felt good to me to prioritize him. It felt, it, I felt I wanted to be a mom for so long and I wanted it so badly. And, and I, we just, we went to, we went through such a struggle for it. That's one part, but also I think maybe because I think maybe being an older mom might have something to do with this too. Um, you know, it's like, I, I had so much fun. I traveled. I remember when 10 years ago, I had a conversation with a girlfriend of mine who had two kids, two little kids. And, uh, she was a stay at home mom. She didn't, you know, she just like her whole life was her kids. And meanwhile, I'm traveling. I'm always going on some other trip. I'm living in Romania. I'm doing all these cool things. And she was like, gosh, your life is so exciting. And I was like, God, but you know, I would love to have your life too. This is what I want. I want to have I want to have the kids and family someday, but I'm not ready yet. And that's mm -hmm. the thing. I waited and I waited and I, 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 I prioritized myself for so many years. I did all the things I wanted to do. And by the time I had August, I was so deeply ready to prioritize him that I just felt like I was okay with it. You know, yeah. it just kind of felt like it felt, it felt natural and okay. But 
there came a point of course where you know you can only you can only take less care of yourself and you know for so long before it actually starts to affect you and something michael and i have both talked about is you know that we we need we need to emphasize taking care of ourselves because we want to be here we want to be here as long as we can for august and part of that is because we're older parents you know we're he's uh, he's probably going to lose us a little bit younger than some of his friends right and, uh, we want to be around as long as possible and so it, it is important uh, it's it's really important that I try to take care of myself. It's it's challenging though, so I try to I try to integrate um, my self care a lot into like into playtime with August. So, like it's it's hard for me to get a run in sometimes or exercise. We play we, just last night. You know we have this we have this fun game that we play. It's like our it's our lap and climb game. And we run a lap all the way up and down the driveway, and then we climb the the stone wall, and then we run back. Oh, don't get the wet. <laughs> <laughs> so here, I'll I'll kind of stay like this so you can see this adorable child playing in the water. <laughs> <laughs> exercise. I try to exercise in place. You know, we hula hoop. We have dance parties you know we we just run around and play and so i try to exercise with him i try to i want to feed him healthy and so i we eat the same things i i feed myself healthy so i kind of you know i i but i do try to take time for myself too i i do get a babysitter and she comes over so, you know so that i can go to yoga i can take a run i can take a shower which is really a bit, the shower is the biggest challenge of all. <laughs> I just want to say thank you for joining me today to talk about motherhood and your experience of it. And I would like to just say, do you have any uh, advice for another, a new mom? Uh, just a, like one little tip, something that uh, I think might help them. Follow your instinct. You will know, you will find out what works best for you and okay. love yourself. And that's it, 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 the best you can, the better you can love yourself and uh, be kind to yourself, the more you have to give other people, especially your children. That's it. Yay. Okay. Well, thank you so much thank for you joining so much. me. Thank you for joining me today and listening to episode two, a conversation with Chrissy Miller. I really enjoyed speaking with her about motherhood, and I hope you did too. If you want to learn more, check out the show notes at ConsciousLife.Guru, our Conscious Life Space website. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast feed and our YouTube channel. You can also find us on Instagram, Pinterest, and Twitter. Until next time, take care.